0: All right, Revelation 19. Almost finished. We are getting near the end. It's pretty awesome. Uh, Remember, next week, Lord willing and weather permitting, we're going to start outside church again. So uh, looking forward to that. I know you guys are all excited. Super excited about that. So 6 o'clock. Start at 6 o'clock with the eating and all that fun festivities. It's just warm in here, isn't it? Next Wednesday, yes. A week from today. Six o'clock. Six o'clock, Cadence. Is that okay with you? You're going to have to drive yourself here. All right. Six o'clock, food starts. We'll be out there under our lone tree that has not been cut down yet. We'll leave it there. Bring chairs, yes, or sit on the grass. Or, yeah, you're not allowed to take these out there. So don't do that. Don't do that. All right. Revelation chapter 19. Excited about this. So we're going to be in the first 10 verses tonight, and then next week we will finish up chapter 19, Um, kind of, again, try to remap it out. Uh, Lord willing, we'll finish the book of Revelation by the end of June. Uh, There on the last Wednesday of uh, May, we're going to have uh, the special graduation for our kindergarten class in our Christian school, so excited about that. Um, But anyway, all right, Revelation chapter 19. Let's go ahead and uh, I'll just read these verses. And we'll jump into it tonight. And after these things, I heard a great voice. Remember what has just transpired. Babylon the great has fallen. All of the things that we had talked about in the past couple weeks. And after these things, I heard a great voice of much people in heaven saying, Alleluia or hallelujah, salvation and glory and honor and power unto the Lord our God. For true and righteous are his judgments. For he hath judged the great whore. We've been talking about that. Uh, The great whore of Babylon, that system of the world, finally has been destroyed, which did corrupt the earth with her fornication and hath avenged the blood of his servants at her hand. And again they said, Alleluia. And her smoke rose up forever and ever. And the four and twenty elders who were mentioned earlier, uh, I think in Revelation chapter 4, the four and twenty elders and the four beasts fell down and worshipped God, that sat on the throne, saying again, "Alleluia, amen, and Alleluia, hallelujah," and a voice came out of the throne saying, "Praise our God, all ye servants and ye that fear Him, both small and great." And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, and as the voice of many waters, and as the voice of a mighty thundering, saying, "Hallelujah! For the Lord God Omnipotent, which means all powerful, reigneth." Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him, for the marriage of the Lamb has come. This is the marriage supper of the Lamb. And his wife hath made herself ready. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. And he saith unto me, Right blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he saith unto me, These are the true sayings of God. And I fell down at his feet to worship him. And he said unto me, See, thou do it not. I am thy fellow servant. So again, John is just in awe of everything that he is seeing and witnessing. He is falling down, uh, worshiping uh, this, uh, this messenger, this angel. But they're basically saying, Hey, no, no, no. I'm just a fellow servant uh, of thy brethren that have uh, the testimony of Jesus. Actually, this is probably another one, not an angel. But uh, he said, Worship God. Don't worship me, worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Um, And we'll stop there tonight uh, with our reading. Now, Revelation is the finality and the culmination of everything that has started back in Genesis. I think I have this in your notes, but I just want to read through it quickly. In Genesis, the earth was created. In Revelation, it will pass away. In Genesis, we see Satan's rebellion against mankind. Revelation shows us his final rebellion. In Genesis, the sun, moon, stars, uh, not starts, (laughs) stars, were created for the earth's government. Man, I should have really checked that. In Revelation, these same heavenly bodies are for the earth's judgment. In Genesis, the, the sus, man, I really can't spell. The sus was to govern the day. The sun, man, the sun, uh, yeah, I don't know who wrote this. The sun was to govern the day. In Revelation, there is no more need for the sun. Not the sus, but the sun. In Genesis, darkness was called night. In Revelation, there is no more night. In Genesis, sin entered the earth. In Revelation, sin is wiped away from the earth. In Genesis, the curse was pronounced upon mankind. In Revelation, the curse is removed. In Genesis, death entered into the world. In Revelation, there is no more death. In Genesis, Satan's doom is pronounced. What is going to happen to him? In Revelation, Satan's doom is finally executed. The seals have been opened. The trumpets have all blown. The vials have all poured out. Uh, been poured out, and all of a sudden the earth is no longer the same. The wickedness that has reigned over this earth for centuries and centuries and centuries is finally uh, been put to rest. And finally, what we have, the transition from the events of Earth back to heaven. And the first part about the Marriage Supper of the Lamb, the last part of this can't wait to get to that as well next week is about Armageddon. And really, when you think about it, we talk about the Battle of Armageddon, it's not much of a battle it's really just a slaughter. Because Jesus comes with all of us, all of those that are saved, all of us Christians, and he just wipes out everyone else that is left on this earth and finally, you know, casts his enemies into that bottomless pit. But really, there is no, there is no war. There is no battle because Jesus Christ is victorious. You know, Revelation, some say that it is called the tale of two cities. Babylon represents the evil world system. The new Jerusalem focuses on heavenly and earthly values. Revelation could also be called a tale of two women. The prostitute of Babylon, which we have referred to in the past two chapters, as well as the bride of the lamb. And the two come together in chapter 19, and their future destinies uh, could not be more radically different. And there's a single word, which we've already read it several times, that captures the heart of this entire text tonight in Revelation chapter 19. And it is the word, hallelujah. Now, this word, it's in verse 1, verse 3, verse 4, and verse 6. Little fun fact for you this is the only chapter in the entire New Testament where this word is found. The only chapter in the entire New Testament. In 1741, George Friedrich Handel wrote his famous Messiah, the more famous oration of which was the Hallelujah Chorus. It is a tradition around the world that when it begins, the congregation stands. And remain standing until completion. How many have ever heard the hallelujah chorus in person? And you know that if you've heard that and you've witnessed that, that a lot of times people stand up and they rise up for that. I've had the privilege of singing that uh, several times when I was in, in college. Uh, we, we always practice uh, Handel's Messiah, and we sang it there uh, after uh, Thanksgiving. And honestly, it was, it was a wonderful time to, to learn the words of those songs. But really what we have here in heaven is heaven's hallelujah chorus. And the scene has shifted, has shifted from everything that has happened on the earth back in chapter 17 and 18, and even the previous chapters. And all of a sudden it's, it's shifted to heaven. And the response from heaven is completely different than the response from the earth. The response from the earth is like, whoa, what in the world just took place? Uh, they, they don't like it because remember back in chapter 18, everything I mean, everything is destroyed. Uh, verse 21, back in chapter 18, the mighty angel took a stone like a great millstone, cast it into the sea. You know, basically Babylon is no more. There's no more music. There's no more joy. There's no more laughter. There's no more singing. There's, there's no more of that because it's all been destroyed. And all of a sudden in chapter 19, people are singing hallelujah. They are praising God for who he is in this great chorus. Together, as it says, you know, the chorus as a multitude and mighty thunderings. I and mean, again, just just imagine, you know, many of us that have ever, you know, been in an area where there's been a lot of people, whether it's been an arena or a stadium where thousands of people are gathered and they're all cheering together. I mean, just imagine that. Amplified times a hundred or a thousand or a hundred thousand times, when all of heaven is singing this song, just the the the, the amazing uh, multitude that is coming together. And as it says in verse number six, it has the voice of many waters, as the voice of mighty thunderings. We had some thunderings today, saying "Hallelujah!" For the Lord God Omnipotent, All Powerful reigneth. Let us be glad and rejoice, and give honor to Him. Now, the Greek word is the transliteration of the Hebrew word halal, which means praise, and Yah, which is an abbreviated form of Yahweh. So this word hallelujah or hallelujah literally means this, praise Yahweh. When we see it in chapter 19, literally that's what it means, praise Yahweh. Praise is the declaration of the glory, the greatness, the power, the majesty of God, and there is no such thing as silent praise. There's a lot of people like, well, I like to praise God silently. There's no such thing. <laughs> Unlike worship, which can occur quietly within our hearts, praise in Scripture is often tied to our lips. So let's, let's turn to just a qu- couple quick references quickly back in Psalms. And I think it's in your notes there. Psalm chapter 34. Let's start with that one. Psalm chapter 34, verse number 1. If you don't want to turn there, that's fine. I'll, I'll, I'll be flipping through these quickly. Psalm 34, 1. The Bible says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall, if anyone's there, what's it say? <laughs> Continually be where? In, In my mouth. So it's something that is coming out of our mouth. Not like we're spewing something, but we are praising God with our mouth, with our lips. Another verse there, Psalm 51. A couple chapters over, Psalm 51, Verse 15 uh, the Bible says, "O Lord, open thou my lips and my mouth shall show forth thy praise. Psalm chapter 119. And these are just a few passages in the the book of Psalms. So many passages talking about praise and talking about praise coming forth from our mouth. Psalm 119 verse 171, uh, the Psalmist says, my lips again, there it is. My lips shall utter praise when thou hast taught me thy statutes. My tongue shall speak of thy word for all thy commandments are righteous. But again, over and over, especially in the Psalms, uh, we talk about praise, how it's not silent. It is magnified and it speaks of this, the glory, the greatness, the power, the majesty of, of our God. You know, that's why we have a time of re- what, you know, we refer to sometimes in church, refer to as praise and worship, because we are praising God for who he is, for what he has done. And it shouldn't be something that we just sit there silently. We should sing out the praises to God, right? We should declare, thank you, Susan. We should declare God's righteousness and glory. I do enjoy listening to Susan and, and, and seeing her get into it. And that's awesome. And really, we should all be like that, whether we sing as, as well as her or not. You know, you might sing like David, but that's okay. Sing out. I mean, he was a perfect one to pick on, right? What? What? <laughs> Just make a noise. That's somewhat joyful, okay, to the Lord. Anyway, all right. So tonight what we're going to talk about is this praise, what praising God is is looking like here in in this chapter. And the first thing we see is that we should praise God for his salvation. Praise God for his salvation. Verse 1 begins with a connecting phrase after this, and after this, or after these things. After what? What just took place where Babylon the Great has fallen? Basically, the world system is over. It's been destroyed. No more. So, after all this, I heard a great voice of much people in heaven saying, Hallelujah, I'm going to say hallelujah because that's really what it's uh, referred to there. Hallelujah, salvation and glory and honor and power unto the Lord our God. So, praise God for his salvation. Verse number one, same thing. We should uh, praise him or hallelujah for salvation. The multitude of heaven is found crying out salvation, glory, power, belonging to God. Um, Are there notes? No, they're not. Yeah, I forgot to put them together. That's my fault. I knew I was forgetting something this afternoon. Like I left and I was like, wait, I think there's something I'm supposed to do. That's what it was. Put the notes together on the screen. So they were like hurrying back there. That's why I was like, what are they doing? Like, why is it up there? It's not up there because I haven't put it up there. Very good. Way to go. Exactly. Sorry, I was... Too focused on candy or something. I don't know. Basketball hoops. I was climbing the net on the basketball hoop in the gym today during, during recess. I did not almost fall. I almost sat on the rim, but I didn't almost fall. I had a tight grip. You would have fallen. It did not look like it.
1: And it's it's getting offhand.
0: It's completely. I was all I was talking about was I forgot to put the notes up there and. I was doing a lot of pull-ups. Michael, you should find that video. Not right now, but after the end of service, we'll put that up there for all the people that have not been able to witness that amazingness. No. But thank you for telling me. Jesus first. Remember that, Mary. Jesus first. Jesus first. All right, let's draw it back in. Very good, we got it. Reeled back in. Hallelujah for salvation again. They're singing salvation, glory, and power belonging to God. Verses 2 and 3. Uh, Hallelujah for his severity. Hallelujah for his severity. S-E-V-E-R-I-T-Y. I'm watching them try to spell it. S-E-V-E-R-I-T-Y. Very good. We do have a school. It's not working for some, but we have a school. All of heaven rejoices over the destruction of Babylon. Again, that, that great whore who has persecuted Christians for so long has finally been vanquished, And there's a reassuring tone here. Look at these verses again. uh, Continues, For true and righteous are his judgments, for he hath judged the great whore, that system of the world, which did corrupt the earth with her fornication, and hath avenged the blood of his servants. Finally, all of the blood of the servants and the saints of the past uh, several uh, thousand years has finally been avenged. And again, they said, Hallelujah, and her smoke rose up forever and ever. The destruction of the last most powerful empire in history marks the end of man's day and the rebellion that has began or that began in the garden of eden is finally ended never again will there be a false religious system a false worldly philosophy or injustice or unrighteousness on this day verses 4 and 5 hallelujah for his sovereignty for his sovereignty s o v e r e i g n t y i'm going to dash and repeat that s o v e r E I G N T Y. Very good. <laughs> Hallelujah for his sovereignty. Well, it's not up there in yours, but I can see what's coming up next. So it's pretty funny what they were typing. Anyway, again, stay with me here tonight. I know it's a little out of kilter a little bit, but that's all right. So this song emphasizes God's attributes. Look at verses four and five. And the four and twenty elders and the four beasts fell down and worshiped God that sat on the throne again, saying, "Hallelujah!" amen, hallelujah. And a voice came out of the throne saying, praise our God and ye his servants and ye that fear him, both small and great. So they are talking about his sovereignty, that he is in control over everything. They're rejoicing because God is true. He is righteous. God is wonderful and only he deserves the praise. And note that the 24 elders and the four living creatures are here to offer up praise, and and you know this can be compared to Revelation chapter 5, verses 6 through 10, when we talked about the worship that is going on in heaven. Now, this text does not spec- specify. Listen, this text does not specify who is speaking, but it records what, and the what is praise our God, praise all His servants, ye that fear Him, both small and great. And this praise happens in heaven at the same time. Our praise should resound here on earth. Our praise should resound in our churches every time we gather and declare the great name of our God and declare his goodness. Every time we are here, every time we are with one another, we should declare his greatness. We should declare his goodness. We should declare his majesty, his power, his awesomeness, his sovereignty, and we should praise him for that. One preacher said, corporate worship is the declaration in the midst of Babylon that we will not be drawn into our harlotries because we have found in God the satisfaction of our souls. Look, the world thinks that you find satisfaction in them, but you don't. All you do is find emptiness. The preacher continued, he said, In, the presence, in his presence is fullness of joy, and at uh, his right hand are pleasures forevermore. Corporate worship is the public savoring of the worth of God and the beauty of God and the power of God and the wisdom of God. And therefore, worship is an open declaration to all the powers of heaven, to all of Babylon, that we will not prostitute our minds or our hearts or our bodies to the allurement of the world. He continues, though we may live in Babylon, the system, we will not be captive to Babylonian ways, and we will celebrate with all our might the awesome truth that we are free from that which will be destroyed. That's why we should worship God. Second thing we see tonight is that we should glorify God for his bride. Glorify God for his bride. Verse number six, the Bible says, "'And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, "'and as the voice of many waters, "'and as the voice of the mighty thunderings again, "'saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. uh, "'Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him, "'for the marriage of the Lamb is come, "'and his wife hath made herself ready.'" In verses 1 through 5, we have a glorified God of salvation, of power, a God whose judgments are always true and just, a God who judges evil, corruption, immorality, a God who ad- avenges the, the blood of his servants, verse 2, a God who welcomes all who fear him, small and great, verse 5. And now our text moves from uh, from that to glorify God for two more reasons, that he is almighty. He reigns sovereign over all things. That uh, He is a God who arranged eternity for the marriage of his son Jesus to the countless host of those who are saved. And the bride is those that are saved uh, in church age and past, those that have come together to to worship Jesus, to serve Jesus, to give them their life to him. And John again, verse 6, he hears something. And this hallelujah of, the, of, of verse 6 points forward an anticipation to the coming wedding of the Lamb. And when we see the word omnipotent, omnipotence, again, it means all-powerful. All will cry out for God's all-powerful reign. And we finally have the long-awaited day of the marriage of the Lamb. I mean, any, any person understands this that have ever been married, you, you, the anticipation leading up to that day. And there's been anticipation in heaven uh, for centuries of this day when when Jesus finally is uh, uh, marrying uh, in, a, in a sense to to himself with the, with the church and and all of the saints uh, from the past and the present and um, and really kind of a historical context here to help us understand a little bit more. I'm getting ahead of myself in my in my head, so let me slow down. In biblical times, a marriage involved two major events. First of all, the betrothal, and then the wedding. These were normally separated by a period of time during which the two individuals were considered husband and wife and, and as such were under the obligations of faithfulness. The wedding began with a procession to the bride's house, which followed by a return to the house of the groom for the marriage feast. By analogy, the church espoused to Christ by faith now awaits this time when the heavenly groom will come for his bride and return to heaven for the marriage feast in the la- that lasts through all of eternity And verses 7 and 8 speak of the preparation that the bride has made uh, for the wedding day. Through sanctification by the Word and the Spirit, uh, she has made herself ready. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 talks about this. And in the church's spiritual marriage to Christ, the betrothal period is the church age. When Christians are pledged to Christ, the wedding occurs when Jesus returns to take his bride to his heavenly Father's house. And this celebration will occur during the millennium after the church has prepared herself by adorning to the righteousness uh, the the righteous acts that were mentioned in verse number 8 lad says this while the bride must make herself ready for the marriage her glorious rem- raiment is not something she can acquire for herself it must be granted her which means given to her as a divine gift the fine linen that is talked about in verse number 8, for the fine linen is the righteousness of saints. It's not something we can acquire. It's something that is given to us from Jesus. So he says, The fine linen, the bright, the pure, the, uh, it stands in sharp contrast to the brilliant robes of the harlot. The wedding garment is a simple white garment, which has been washed and made white only in the blood of the Lamb. He has purchased us, his bride. And then finally we see in verse 9 and 10, and again, all of this together is incomplete going into next week, so, so stay tuned for that. But 9 and 10, what we see is this. We must worship God for the witness of Jesus Christ. Worship God for the witness of Jesus Christ. And he, say, and he saith unto me, Right, blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he saith unto me, These are the true sayings of God, and I fell down at his feet to worship him. And he said unto me, oh, whoa, see thou do it not. I am my fellow servant and my brethren that have testimony of Jesus. Worship God, worship him. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Again, how many times, I mean, there's been countless times where John has been asked or called to to write down what he is seeing. And again, he is to record really the, the fourth of the seven blessings in Revelation. Those who participate in the marriage supper of the Lamb are blessed, as the Bible says. You see, all focus is not on the bride. All focus is on the Lamb himself. You know, most weddings on earth, who are they focused on? The bride. And you say rightly so. But in heaven, it's not that way. The focus is not on the bride. It's not on the church. It's not on the saints. It's not on the Christians. The focus is on who? Jesus, the Lamb. Not on the bride. It's different, See, it's all centered on Jesus Christ because he alone deserves all of our attention. He alone deserves all of our praise. He alone deserves all of our worship. And John, again, is overwhelmed by this. Again, he's falling down and, and trying to worship this individual who is explaining and showing him these things. And again, he falls at his feet uh, to, to worship. But again, he's kind of a, a quick or stiff rebuke. You know, hey, you no, know, don't worship me. And that's that's very important to understand too. We should never worship a man. We should never worship an angel. We should only worship God. That's right. Any other worship is idolatry. And for centuries that has happened. And, and he's not necessarily just reprimanding John. Hey, you evil moron. You know, it's not what he's saying. But hey, the, the application for us today is don't worship a man. Don't worship an individual. Only worship God. All worship should only be directed to God. You know, I, I've seen it in churches where where the people, the congregation, uh, really are, are worshiping the pastor or or the staff, and that should not be. That should never be. You should never worship me because I am just like you. I, uh, you know, before I was saved, you know that that sinful creature, and and I am you know flesh, and I, I make mistakes, and you know there there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of bad things in me just like in you. But the point is not to worship me or anyone else. The point is always to worship Jesus Christ. And that's that's what we we see here. You know, he fell down on his feet, but the the angel or the the representative stopped him. Hey, don't, don't worship. Worship God and God alone. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. You see, his life and teaching are the heart of prophecy. Look, it's so easy to be enamored with someone or something and want to worship it. And there are a lot of good people that have worshipped their pastor or or put him up on a pedestal, but no man, no creature should ever be worshipped. All worship belongs to Jesus and Jesus alone. And as we close out this section tonight, again, there's so much more, and we'd be here for a lot longer if we continued on, but Scott Duvall provides nine excellent theological observations that capture the key themes of Revelation 19. The first is this, that God's people are called to rejoice at the demonstration of God's righteous judgments The second thing is that evil powers, sinners, are guilty of arrogance, deception, and murder. The third thing is that God will avenge the suffering of his people one day. He will avenge all the suffering saints. You know, we, we ask, you know, when is this injustice going to end? Well, God will end it all one day. And we have to be faithful to that and stay patient and understand that it might not be avenged in our time, but one day God will avenge it all. Fourth is that God deserves the praise. He alone deserves the glory uh, for beginning his universal reign. Jesus uh, relates to his people like a husband to his bride. The next thing is that God's people, in contrast to the notorious prostitute, are clothed in righteous acts. Another thing is that angels, like humans, are fellow servants who hold to the testimony of Jesus. And then finally, God alone deserves worship for he is the source of our worship or he should be the source of our worship so again there's so much more that we can talk about Uh, stay tuned all of this flows together in the next couple chapters we've got after 19 we've got 20, 21 and 22 and there's so many more things that are just jam packed in there but again what we discover is yet again Revelation is not a book that should scare us it's a book that gives us hope and it's a book that reminds us who all of history is about it's about Jesus and again, we'll see that yet again next week as we look at the Battle of Armageddon. And this is something that I think a lot of people misunderstand sometimes. Because the Battle of Armageddon, it's not so much about us joining in with Jesus. It's all about Jesus. He's the one that destroys the enemy. We just get to be spectators, really. It's not like, oh man, I want to be a participant. There's nothing we can do. Were we there when the world came into existence? No. God spoke the world into existence. And really, the power that he has to speak the world into existence is the same power he has to speak it into oblivion. And that's exactly what we're going to discover next week. It's all about Jesus. It's always been about Jesus. So that's why we should worship him. Worship him alone. Praise him. Hallelujah. Uh, That halal. uh, Praise Yahweh. Praise God for who he is, for what he has done. Look, we have hope in the glorious gospel of Jesus. And that's what Revelation teaches me. We have hope in our risen lamb who is victorious and we will finally see that in the coming chapters and then we, we move to the new Jerusalem and the millennium kingdom and, and the reign of Christ forever. But here's the key truth that we close with. The just judgment, the righteous character and perfect plan of God should lead us to passionate worship of and witness to Jesus Christ. I'll say that again. I know we don't have it in your notes, but I know we don't have it on the screen. But the just judgment, the righteous character, and the perfect plan of God should lead us to passionate worship of and witness to Jesus Christ. You see, there are so many things that we learn from Revelation in our study. Again, it's not about necessarily the end times. Really, you know, John is writing to a specific audience, but again, what we learn today, several thousand years later after he wrote this, is that we still have a job to do. And again, I've been preaching and promoting uh, the advancement of the gospel for quite a while in our church. And again, all it does is shows me that the world needs to desperately hear the hope of the gospel. They need to hear the good news that we have. The good news that we are victorious in the end. That this life is not all that there is. There is something far greater waiting for us. And again, you look around in the world and you see the sin, the destruction. Uh, it breaks your heart when a, when a little baby is uh, you know, beaten, and, and the things that have happened, it, it breaks your heart, but one day, all sin is going to be removed, and that's what brings us hope. You know, we might not necessarily find hope in a system in this world, but we can find hope in Christ, and that's where Revelation is teaching us, and that's what Revelation is pointing us to, and again, what I, I just, again, continue to encourage you is to just, as, as we've studied this book, And as we continue, and as we'll close in in the weeks to come, just continue to praise God. Praise Him and thank Him. Thank Him for who He is. Thank Him for what He has done. I go back to verse number one, you know, salvation, glory, honor, power unto the Lord our God. Why? Because He's true. He's righteous. He's He's avenged. And and these are the things that are going to happen in the future, but this is who He is. It's part of His character. And even as we'll learn next week, you know, talk about some more names of God and names of Jesus But it also describes in the coming verses that there's a name that no one knows. And what it shows us is that there's even more of Jesus that we're going to learn when we get to heaven. Things that we'll never comprehend on this earth. And that's the awesomeness of Jesus, that as much as we can learn on this earth, it pales into comparison to what we're going to learn about him in heaven. And it's awesome of who he is. So stay tuned as we get to verse 11, that as we see heaven open... And behold, that white horse and he that sat upon it, I'll just read it, was faithful and true and in righteousness he to judge and make war. And again, all the next verses, the next 10 or 11 verses are talking about Armageddon and really, not really the battle because it's really Jesus coming just wipe it out, the slaughter that is going to take place, but the amazing things that happen uh, in the weeks to come. So stay tuned, stay with us, stay faithful to the gospel and stay faithful to Jesus. Let's pray.